Well, hey, and welcome to episode 14 of the Gospel for Everyone podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Krismer, and I'm so glad you're here. Well, in today's episode, Jason, Josh, and I sit down and we discuss what it means to be an heir of the world, the seasons in the life of Abraham, and how to know what God has promised to us. If you haven't yet listened to the message from this past Sunday, October 30th, I highly encourage you doing so before we move on with this episode. You can find that message at quadcity.church. Well, without further ado, let's dive into our conversation. Well, hey guys, happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. How you guys doing? I'm pretty good. Yeah, good, good. Figured we'd start our time off today talking about some of our favorite Halloween memories. What do you guys have along the lines of Halloween memories? The favorite is, I think, probably a stretch. Yeah. I feel like Halloween is a whole different thing than it used to be. Like when I was a kid, it wasn't as big. And when were you a kid again? <laughs> Just to frame <laughs> <See>? this. <laughs> I feel like I should have a button over here that has like the back in my day jingle. And every time Jason says, when I was a kid, we hit that button. Oh. You can hear the song. And and- we, we did, though, confirm there is definitely different generations of trick-or-treating in this room alone. Yeah. Yes. For yeah. sure. I was, yeah. So early 80s would, would have been my kind of the, the- Heyday. <laughs> Not heyday, but that was where it all began with uh, the trick-or-treating stuff. So, uh, yeah. Um, You know, we were talking the other day, all these people bringing in their big bags of candy. Like, we didn't didn't get that as a kid. Like, we were were being told that, you know, you can't eat your apple because it has a razor blade in it, you know, because that's the kind of stuff. It wasn't pre-wrapped anything. It was like people baking cookies and... Giving out cookies at your—that's hmm. what you were getting in your, in your, uh, whatever bucket or bag or whatever your thing was. So yeah, it was a little bit different. Everybody was going to die in the '80s because they were getting razor blades in their, in their apples. So hmm. I remember those days. <laughs> what uh, would you dress up as a kid? Let's see, what would have been the '80s characters? So the the stock costume in the '80s is literally—it was like. There was a molded plastic mask that had one little thing of uh, elastic around it and the little plastic suit, whatever it was, whatever little character, it was like as thick as a trash bag. And so that's what you wore. You went to went to the Walmarts and picked out whatever little thing you wanted and it was a you know, whether Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle mask or or maybe a Transformer or something like that. But it was, they were super cheap little plastic mask with a, a, a costume that was made that was as thick as a trash bag. So that was it. Interesting. So what was yours though? Like, what do you remember? Oh, I don't What's remember your, any. You don't, you don't remember any honest. of your costumes? I don't know. It was, again, it wasn't, it didn't. It wasn't that big of a deal. I don't remember it being nearly as big of a deal. Um, 
I mean, I remember things like Cabbage Patch Kids, like everybody was a Cabbage Patch Kid. You know, everybody had these old plastic Cabbage Patch doll faces. I'm not sure I even know what that is. Oh, my heavens. Are you kidding me right now? Google it right Uh, now. Google up Cabbage Patch Kid. Or, yeah, you can Google up, you know, Mickey Mouse or whatever. You know, had all these little plastic faces, and that's that's all it was. Oh, that's terrifying. <laughs> One great. That. Yeah, they were terrible. That was terrifying. Everybody had the cabbage patch. What were you doing? That was it. That was, that was your thing. And you went around your neighborhood, and that was it, and you got... 20 pieces of candy. It definitely and wasn't like, like going to other neighborhoods. No. For, like you walked around your block. Yeah. So this is what I've noticed, right? Um, just having kids now, um, being in, uh, when our kids first started trick-or-treating, we still lived in Louisiana there. There's a lot of people who either drove their kids around in like the minivan, the truck, or a lot of our people like were on four-wheelers pulling hay wagons. Oh. If I would have asked my mom and dad, <laughs> to get in their car and drive me around to get candy to the good neighborhoods, they would have a lot. Like part of the what I remember is just circling up with all your friends and you just took off. But there also wasn't like a lot of like helicopter parents, no. like in the eighties <laughs> and nineties. So we did have a little more freedom. I'm not saying my parents may not have went with me when I was younger, but there was an age it was like, oh no, you walk to school every day, you can walk and knock on people's doors and ask for candy. And so now it's these, these kids don't even got to walk. Their parents just drive them around. <laughs> I'm like, this is not even, you're not even working for your candy. Okay, do we want to get into the helicopter parent thing? Because here's the funny thing. All right, so again, grew up mainly in the 80s, born in the 70s, grew up in the 80s. I still remember there was a PSA that would come on the TV every night. It's 10 o'clock. Do you know where your children are? <laughs> like that was a literal thing. That ten. ten o'clock. Like that's late. Do that you know where late. your children are? And it, which means where they're just a bunch of parents like sitting around watching the news, saying, "Oh, dang it! I got kids. Where are those kids? It's ten o'clock. Are they home?" Oh, that's <laughs> funny. Did you never heard that? No, certainly not. So oh. we would do the light when the street lights came on. Like what? So when we moved yeah. to Phoenix, I moved to Phoenix. I was going into fifth grade, so I was older, and it was like, yeah, probably when the street lights come on, go check in. Yeah. So like I'd, I'd run by the house, check in, and go back out or stay in or whatever the thing was. So we it spent was a, lot a PSA. Of time, we spent a lot of time outside. Like yeah, yeah we when, did too. as soon as we moved to the valley, Same. I was man. Every summer, I was out <laughs> riding bikes almost all day, like I, hours, hours and Gone. hours. I was just out of the house. Yeah, riding Taco Bell. Yeah, there you go. For us, it was like Circle K. Go to the gas station, get a drink. Um, so speaking of the 80s, I don't know if there's anyone listening that is a parent of young kids right now, but if you are, you likely have interacted in some way, shape, or form with Bluey. Bluey is a TV show. It's a cartoon for kids. It's fantastic. It was originated in Australia. Uh, it's an Australian cartoon, and it's hilarious. So it's on like Disney+. Plus. You can go see all the episodes. Well, at the end of this, whatever the most recent, I mean, season two or three, whatever it is, the recent season, the last episode, I think, is this episode where the dad in Bluey is telling a story to the two kids, uh, like a six and a four-year-old, I think, is are their ages. And it's all about the 80s. So the dad's telling the story and the cartoon's going through all the story. And they keep asking him questions like he's riding his bike and they're like, well, where's your helmet, dad? And he's like, oh, it's the 80s. <laughs> we didn't do that in the 80s. You didn't. Uh, so it's, it's actually really, really funny. Highly suggest Bluey if you're a, if you're a fan of 
kids' television shows. <clears throat> I, I remember, so as a kid, we were also down in the Valley. Um, that's where I grew up, down in the Chandler area. And so we had a street, had a bunch of friends on there. And if you walk down our street, typical um, length of the street, actually it's crazy. In my mind, I remembered it really, really big. But when we came out to visit before we moved here, we had the opportunity to just go and check out the street. I showed Diana, hey, this is where I grew up. And it looked really small, right? Everything yeah. just was a lot smaller. But if you went down our street and took a left, there were like two houses down. There was a, a house that always had a like stool and a bucket of candy, but he had a snake. He had a like a, a python or a boa, whatever, in the bowl. And like you had a to, real one? A real snake. And you had to, <laughs> so it was like, at, we'd all do the trick-or-treating up and down. And then we'd all would convene at this yeah. one place. And it was like, who is going to be the one that is brave enough to reach their hand? Like, he wasn't trying to scare you. You knew the snake was there. It wasn't like <laughs> it's popping out of the bowl, freaking you out or anything. Like, it was like, no, here's your candy. And here's the snake. How bad do you want it? And it's why, like. Why are you not just kicking the stool? I don't know. Because we had some sense in the 80s and 90s. This was probably mid-90s, yeah. So early to mid-90s. I don't know, but that's what I I will never forget that, like, oh, whew, how bad do I? So you're, like, looking at your bag going, is it full enough yet? I don't know. <laughs> but if you reach in there, you can get as much as you want. That's that's what I remember of, of Halloween. And then we moved back to Harrodsburg, and um, Harrodsburg did kind of around the neighborhoods, and then they moved everything downtown. We have a... A main street had all the businesses. People would set up, and we started doing stuff there. Um, and it was they randomly they tell you what time you trick or treat. <laughs> that was my favorite. It was like, yeah. yeah, we're trick or treating this year on a Thursday evening because it's gonna maybe rain or snow. Oh, like, interesting. And so they would tell the whole town yeah. when trick or treating was. I was like, I thought it's always just October thirty first. Nope. Yeah, Harrisburg will move it on you. Like <laughs> they <laughs> will tell you. Actually, we're gonna do it on the 29th this year, folks, because it's a Saturday da-da-da. night. Yeah, and just whatever. Not, it works not a better. School night. It works yeah. better for the school. And so one year I was the Hulk. I was the Incredible Hulk. We did our church. Hard to see that one. It was really Didn't fun. See that I had a real scary mask. Um, so I got to dress up as the Incredible Hulk. So that was that was enjoyable. What are nice. your kids? What are y'all's kids being for Halloween this year? What do we got? Yeah, so Porter's a lion this year. So Porter's five. He's a lion. Painted his face as a lion. He's got a full costume thing. Nice. So, yeah, he's running around trying to scream at people today. Oh, I love it. So, yeah. He's did you paint it. the face? I did. I did paint the face. Man, that's an all-in right there. I did paint the face. Yeah, I'm usually not. We don't do a ton. So, growing up, here's the context around Halloween for me. I don't like candy. I don't eat candy. Candy doesn't fire me up. I'm not excited about it. I'll eat a piece of chocolate a year. Like, I, I'm just not a candy guy. So for me, Halloween, I could care less about Halloween. I dressed up a few times that I can remember. Probably most most years I would dress up and go walk around. But honestly, it's just not a big deal for me. But to see Porter as fired up as he's been about like showing his friends his costume yeah. and, and that sort of thing has been super fun. So we'll go. We'll walk around with him. We'll do the candy crawl tonight and then go probably walk around park or something like that. And he'll enjoy it. What's your kiddo? So mine has got one of those inflatable suits. He's he's like a cowboy riding a Tyrannosaurus Rex. So <laughs> he's he's riding a dinosaur with a cowboy hat. Yeah. With one of those little inflatable suits. So he's the he's my Asian cowboy riding a dinosaur. It would be great. I love it. Just oh, <laughs> love that. That feels right. It, feels it does. Right. Yeah. See, the boys are, we've got uh, Judo was, wanted to be a football player. Shocker. Yeah, I was. Yeah. yeah. 
He wanted the Odell Beckham jersey, and I was like, I'm not, not, <laughs> I'm not buying you a no, I'm not buying you OBJ jersey, buddy. Um, we have Flash, uh, and then we have Spider Man, Miles Morales, Spider Man. There is a difference, so mm-hmm. we had to make sure we very much determine that. And then our youngest is going to be an avocado. So, <laughs> oh, that's fun. Yeah, it'll, yeah, it should be fun. We actually we. We stepped our game up this year. We had all of our stuff done like early October. Normally, we are the scrambling parents. Like, yeah. oh, no. We're like, oh, let's get in the Halloween box and see what costumes we still had. Couldn't do that, though, this year because move across the country. Yeah. Threw that box away. Yeah. And our boys are a little bit heftier and bigger. So, it's like, well, <laughs> we ain't fitting those costumes anymore. Yeah. That's when you just pull out the sheet, cut two holes, and you're a ghost. That's yeah. right. That was a lot of 90s That was 100%. That was a lot of 90s costumes. Yeah, la- last year was great because Porter wanted to be a rock climber. And I was like, oh, we have that stuff. Like, we've got the helmet, we've got the harness, we've got the gear. So, we just put it all on, and we walked around as rock climbers last year, which is super easy. So, Oh, that's fantastic. It was a lot of fun. Oh, man, that's great. Well, hey, let's dig in uh, to some content from Sunday. Um, first, I just wanted to start uh, maybe Josh and Jason by asking you guys, um, what were the things that stood out to you this week? As we were going through the message, um, there were a couple of things that stood out specifically to me, but let's let's start there. Uh, yeah, I can go. i jump in. Um, so I had a privilege of getting to listen to all three services, uh, which is always great because I there's a couple pieces that I wanted to see of people's reaction. Um, and one of them was the air stuff. And I think Jason's going to expound a little bit more, but um, it was great watching people um, reaction, you know, Hey, do you, do you get what this means? Now, clearly you don't get what this means. Right. And then like little by little, it started clicking in for them until then they were like, yeah, amen. Hallelujah. And then he was like, okay, now imagine, you're going to get Elon Musk. And everybody's like, oh, yeah. You could tell everybody's like, there's a lot of head shaking in there. And they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I like that. And he was like, see, that's our problem. And everyone, like, to it was like, oh. Like, they were, it was a collective, like, oh, he got us. He set us up. It was like the <laughs> rope-a-dope. Jason straight rope, and he did all three. So if you were in any of the services, everybody got it. Don't worry. Like, we all, we all had a piece of that, right? So it was really good. And then... The other thing that jumped out to me was in verse 17 when Paul talks about uh, God bringing things that are dead to life. And then in verse 19, Abraham says, my body was as good as dead and Sarah's womb is as good as dead. And we know, again, we think about Jesus and the resurrection, and I'm not discounting that at all because God brought Jesus back to life. But in that instance, Sarah and Abraham thought they were as good as dead. And God breathed the very thing that is life into them, which rippled the effect into now who we are as people of God. And so that verse and just, and when you look at it in your text, you see them so close together. And as Jason always says, like when you notice that stuff, man, pay attention. It wasn't an accident that Paul uses those words to go, he says, I mean, God raised from the dead. And then the description of Abraham is that he was dead. And so just a powerful reminder. Then I jumped to Ephesians 2, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin, the verse 4. But God made you alive. Like God has breathed life into our dead bodies, right, through Christ. It's such a powerful picture of what the gospel means for us. And so those were the two things that really jumped out in my mind. Yeah, for me, I— you know, it was kind of a late ad talking about um, Abraham, the name, what what that meant. And 
the implications of him, his whole life being called exalted father and not having a child and the burden of that, you know, in his 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. And yet when God says, I'm going to do this, he believed it. And I think that's just a powerful picture of what faith is. And again, not just believing in God, but do we believe God? And Abraham believed God, and then that was what was credited him as righteousness. So for me, just that's this whole section, right? That's been the last couple of weeks is talking about Abraham having believed God, putting his faith fully in God, that what God said, God's going to do. Yeah, that's good. I, I think for me, the most helpful for reminder was super simple. Um, it was just this reminder that like, hey, this is Abraham, and as a result of this man's faith, righteousness was credited to him. Like that's the big picture. But then also remembering he didn't do great all the time. Like he, there were a couple, and we pointed it out this Sunday. There were a couple of moments in his life that were not awesome. Yeah. Like, yeah. Giving your wife away, right. To a couple of, to a couple of foreign kicks, not a great, like twice. that's not a highlight. That, like not once, but twice, uh-huh. that's not, a, you know, that's not crazy. a great thing, right. The Hagar situation, not awesome. No. Probably could have no. seen through that one. Yeah. Um, not, not awesome. So for me, it was just that reminder. And I, that even in my own life, the seasons that I've gone through where I have felt um, as if my faith is wavering, as if I'm just being beaten down and I'm just kind of grinding through it and I feel maybe less less um, full of faith, uh, that doesn't mean necessarily that I'm believing the promise of God less, right? There might be some circumstances that are are distracting me from remembering the promise of God, but it doesn't mean uh, like that lack of faith isn't inherently unbelief uh, seasonally, like for seasons of my life. Again, I can see that play out probably a few times. Um, So that was just a good reminder uh, to me, but then also just the reminder to to always look back, even though the circumstances may not be awesome. Like just circle back. What are the promises of God? Um, and that was just a super helpful reminder for me. Again, I think the application on my ends uh, over the next week or two is just doing a big dive into, okay, what are the other promises, right? You gave us a bunch. You gave us a bunch of, of texts that are all promises from God to his people. And then you said, hey, we could probably go for another hour because uh, there's a bunch of them. Um, so for me, like this week, I'm going to dig a little deeper into that just to remember what, what have I actually been promised? So when you think about um, you know, your first point there of the doubt, you know, I, I don't even think, again, for Abraham, he, we were told he didn't waver in doubt. Mm-hmm. So what happened? Well, he just tried to figure out how to do it. Like he tried to take ownership of the promise. He tried to bring it about himself that, well, if my wife gets taken and I get killed then the promise can't happen. So how do I not get killed? So I'll put it on me and I'll give her away and Assume God's going to work it out somehow. Or, well, we can't have babies and it's been 10 years, so we just got to figure out how do we bring this promise to fruition? Well, take Hagar and do that. Okay. And I think, again, that's what gets us in trouble is when we try to make the promises of God come to pass in our own life. We, we put the onus on us to do the thing that God promises he's going to do instead of actually trusting God to actually do it. And so um, it's kind of like what we talked about last week where I shared the story of jumping off the rope and slicing my hand up because, yeah, I stepped off, but there was still something in me that wanted to have control. And that's where the damage comes. And that's what we see in Abraham's life. I think all of us too have those seasons. What Brennan's talking about 
where we, I mean, like you're saying, we do trust maybe more in ourselves, or circumstances dictate that we, um, it does look like our faith is not as strong as other seasons in our life. Yeah. Um, so I have a tattoo on my right arm that says, um, keep the faith. And I actually got that in a season when if you asked me, was I a follower of Jesus? I would have told you no. I, I was a believer. I believed in Jesus, but by no means was I a follower. Um, and so um, it was right out of college. My first year of college was just not a great year. I really just kicked the tires on faith. I did not follow. I did not believe. I kind of did my own thing. Um, and I got that at the end of the year. Uh, and I don't know why, but now when I see it, I remember that, that even in my lowest moment, even when I, my faith was just teetering on the edge of breaking, I have this picture literally on my arm of, man, but God still called me and I'm still following. And I don't ever want to be back in that place. And again, the journey still has me times that it's like, oh yeah, man, I'm back in that, that moment. But I always look back at that because it was a real marker for me. And again, it's something that's literally on me and it just helps helps me remember what faith is about. And it's really more about who God is than not about what Josh has done or what Josh can do or what I will do, but about this God who has pursued me and chased after me and invited me into his story and allowed me to just respond to say, yes, I want to be a part of this. And so um, I know there's others who are listening who feel that, right? Who may be in that season right now, walked away and they've come back. And for whatever reason, their faith, and it could be some of the, the hard things that we've experienced or just sometimes good things. Like we started life, it gets really good and we go, I don't need God anymore. I'm good. I don't really need this anymore. Uh, God, I'll check back in with you in a little bit. And we look at our faith and go, yeah, it's not as rock sure as maybe it once was. And so there's, there's the hope in that, that yep. man, you can always come back. So really cool piece of just my own journey of faith. Yeah, that's good. And it reminds me, we had jotted down this Keller quote, this Tim Keller quote, I think uh, as we were talking about this message a couple of weeks ago. It says this, the life of faith is not the perfect life. It is the life that clings to what God said he would do. Hmm. So again, it's not it's not those actions. It affirms this story of Abraham. It wasn't, it wasn't the things that he was doing that made him faithful. It was his faith in which ultimately like righteousness was credited to his account for like he was just confident that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. And again, he was more confident in some seasons than others. Mm -hmm. He maybe tried to do it on his own a little bit more in, in some of the, the dark, uh, dark seasons, but, um, like it was that, that faith, uh, you know, just clinging to what God said he's going to do. Yeah. Jason, I know. So maybe two questions for you. One, where have you seen in your life when you've kind of experienced that season of of low, right? The season where maybe your faith isn't as as strong as it maybe was in the season before. And and so what did you what did you do that changed that? Well, how did was it something you recognized? Was it um, was it a prayer? Oh, you know, because I, I'm sure you get people who come in asking, I just don't feel like I, my faith is strong. I feel like it's weak. How do I how do I fix it, or how do I improve that, or how do I go deeper, or, or what are that? I think we all have that. People are in just these seasons of like, man, I don't I don't know what it is. I just don't 
I don't sense him. I don't feel it. I just, for whatever reason, it could be a million. So maybe your own life, what have you, what have you seen and recognized? But then what would you, how do you share that with people? How do you encourage them to, to keep going? Well, I'd say two things. One is surrounding yourself with faithful people who can tell you the truth when you're, you're only hearing the lies. Like that's again, part of what we are in a spiritual warfare. Like the enemy is desires to cast doubt and fear. He is a, an accuser and a liar from the beginning. So he wants to put us in those places. I mean, what was the very first moment of sin? Did God really say, I mean, it's a moment of doubt. And so the, the enemy's whispering that into our into our ears all the time. So I think one of the biggest things is, is just having a community of people who speak truth over us when we can't speak it to ourselves. Like we have to be able to have people in our life who are telling us the truth, um, even when we don't feel that. The second thing would be um, is the 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 issue of hearing from the word of God. So am I trying to remember what the promises are, to know what it says? And it comes back to to what I talked about yesterday. Am I believing what God actually promised or am I believing something that I just want to be true? And so trying to differentiate between what God has actually promised and what we actually... um, what we want for ourselves. So I think that's a big one for me is because sometimes my doubt is not in the promises of God. I'm not actually struggling with that. I'm struggling with, I wanted this thing and it didn't happen. And so Mm. that's when the doubt comes in. So just differentiating between what I want and what God promises. And not even like probably bad things. No, they're not. And and everything you listed yesterday inherently aren't, evil no like actually are great things and yeah. are i mean except the like some of the back end but like the the kid the wife those kind yeah. of things um and when we confuse those with promises instead of just things good yeah. things I, yeah i can't see that it does mess us up well i mean we can get really personal here in our kelly and i's journey um we we went through a season of not just a season we we dealt with infertility issues and never overcame those, right? So we went, didn't understand it, went to some doctors, did some tests, and um, went down a road of some infertility treatments that never took. And so you're just month after month, you're praying through these things, and you believe, God, you you want us to raise kids. You want us, We feel like this is a thing that you desire. You want us to have family and and yet it didn't happen in the way that we anticipated. Now, obviously, we ended up adopting two kids, and it's been great, mostly. Um, <laughs> but in that season, there is that real season of doubt because we had this, wait, why would not God give us? I mean, we're looking around, and you guys know the stories of people who are having babies who shouldn't be having babies, and you're looking around. Like, they... Mm they bump into somebody and they get pregnant and they're on number five and they've had four taken away. And you're just like, wait, God, where are you in this? And, and, and yet we put this on God that why would you not do this for us? And, Mm. but again, the question is, did God promise that? The answer is no. He never, he never promised that we would birth children. And so, what we had to keep coming back to in that season, Kelly and I kept coming back to, was the 
the Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Like that was our mantra. Trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. Like those are your only two options. Every day, you're going to either trust the Lord today or you're going to lean on your own understanding. And so that was our mantra. We just had to keep coming back to that. And then on the backside of it, we got to see God do amazing things in the way that we got our sons. I mean, it's amazing, those stories. And it's easy to see God's hand on the backside of it. Right. Um, but not necessarily while you're going through it. And what I'm sure is you had people in your corner who were speaking truth and who were praying for you and who were trying to remind you. But even maybe on the flip side, too, there was even at times people who— because we we mean really well sometimes as believers, and we say things that sometimes are damaging to oh, others, sure. especially in those seasons. Yep. Oh, we'll just keep holding on. God's going to send you that perfect person. Yeah. yeah. Right? And, and I think it's well-meaning. Yeah. Oh, well, if you just keep praying, really believe. Oh, yeah. I see it. God's going to bless you guys. Yeah. And it's like, oh, but maybe— are saying something makes it worse. Yeah. And maybe we've had, maybe you're listening and you've had people or pastors or family members pray over you, say those things over you. And maybe it has in a way confused you because you're like, well, maybe I don't have, maybe I don't have enough faith. They make promises on behalf of God. Hmm. I got yeah. this vision or I was praying and God told me and this is going to happen, and you just do this thing, and you move forward, and you buy that, and you go here, and God's going to bless that, and this is, and they make promises on behalf of God, and and it is very damaging yeah. um, in those seasons when those things don't actually come to pass because God didn't actually promise it. Yeah, and that really leans right into one of the questions we got from Sunday. Okay. Is like, you said God didn't promise me a husband, but what if I think he did? Like, what if I think that that was a problem? What if I heard from God and he said, you're going to get X, Y, and Z? Yeah. And it really covers this kind of, like this theological issue of what we call general revelation, which is, hey, what has God revealed to all of us? Like mm-hmm. mostly scripturally, right? Mm-hmm. What has God revealed to us as followers of him, as people? And then you get this, on the flip side, there's this like special revelation or personal res- re- revelation, some people call it where it is, hey, God specifically told me this thing about what's going to happen in my life. Um, And some of our uh, attendees, some of our listeners might have experience with, uh, you know, sects of the faith that lean more on that side Mm -hmm. of things, talk a little bit more. There are denominations and that sort of thing that lean a little heavier into uh, special revelation and and personal specific revelation. I don't, we wouldn't be of that camp, generally speaking. Um, so could you talk a little bit more about that, Jason? Where, if there is a role for that sort of thing, where is it? Uh, and then, okay, so if that was revealed to you, how do we know that? Yeah. Right? How do we know that that truly was of God? So, yeah, I think it's a great question. Uh, I, would start, I would start by saying, can God give a special revelation to someone? The answer to that is 100% yes. He did it with Abraham. Yeah. Right? He did. He told Abraham, you're going to have a kid. Uh, It didn't come when Abraham thought, but God was going to fulfill that promise. So the answer is, can it happen? 100% absolutely. The the issue, I think, comes um, for me, it's hard for many of us to differentiate How do we confirm that that was actually God? For Abraham, it was easy. God came and spoke to him. Like he literally showed up. Then he sent three angels 
and confirmed it. And then there was a whole covenant ceremony where God actually puts, this is Genesis 15, you can go read it. God confirmed the promise with a covenant that he had Abraham go slice a bull in half and then some birds in half. And literally, that was the sign of the covenant. You would slice a bull lengthwise from head to tail, split the whole thing open, and the blood then runs together, and you would walk through this bull's blood. And what you were saying in that moment, that was the way a covenant was sealed. What you're saying in that moment is, if I don't fulfill my promise, may it be done to me is what happened to this bull. Like that was the and God made that covenant promise. They went through that ceremony. And it, there's a cool story as a part of this. Abraham didn't actually have to walk through the bull's blood. Like God actually kind of put Abraham into a, uh, put him to sleep. And there was a flaming torch that went through the bull's blood. It was God's spirit. So that's what I was going to say. So is it more in this instance that God is saying, I'm going to do 100%. Not Abraham. He didn't have anything to live up to. He didn't have it. That's exactly right. Oh, that's right. cool. That it was, if this covenant doesn't get fulfilled, may it be done to me. And actually, it ends up being done to him. That Jesus is the picture of that bull, that he was, his blood was shed uh, to make sure that that uh, covenant was fulfilled. So you can go read that in Genesis 15. That's all part of this story, but it was. It wasn't a feeling, I guess is the point that I'm saying. Yeah. It, it was God did, he fulfilled the covenant and made sure that Abraham understood. Like that was, it, it was outside of Abraham that this promise came. And so that's the difficulty that comes for us is that so many times it's more subjective. It's I have this feeling or I, and it's hard sometimes for us to differentiate God's voice and our desire. And sometimes I think we actually leverage our desires and think it's God's voice. And so so I guess, can God promise someone a husband or a child or a job or a, yes, God can do that. I would just say, as 1 Corinthians tells us, test the spirits to see if they are from God. Like there is a responsibility that we have to test the spirits. We may actually have some spirits that are telling us things that aren't actually of God. So test the spirits to see if they are of God. That's what we're told. How do we do that? Well, we confirm it. I think one, most objectively, doesn't match with what the word of God says. Mm -hmm. If the promise of God is that you're never going to have to suffer, that's not of God. Because again, the very first promise I shared this week is, in this world, you will have trouble. That is a promise. Uh, The most uh, outgoing and, I'm sorry, not outgoing, that's not the word. The most ongoing promise that Paul hears from God over and over again is the Holy Spirit keeps telling me, every time I walk into one of these cities, I'm going to suffer. Yeah. And I think to your point, a special revelation will never contradict the general Uh, revelation. 100%. 100%. If you walk down that road, it is a very dangerous road to walk down. It will never. God will never contradict his general revelation. That's right. And so we have to be really careful of just assuming that our desires are God's desires or that, that this feeling that I have is the voice of God. Because sometimes, again, we, we are commanded to test the spirits to see if they are from God. There are spirits that will whisper stuff into our ears that then won't come to pass. 
so that we end up doubting the goodness and glory of God. That if you were the enemy, why would you not do that? Like that is an amazing uh, strategy to get people to turn away from God. And we see it all the time. And again, so we just have to know what are the promises of God? And is this thing that I think God is saying, does it match with the word of God? And then I would add one more layer to it. Find good, godly people, full of the spirit, full of the word, who can act as a confirmation, that they would affirm this calling or this promise from God. Like, I would need to bounce this off of other people and to see from good godly people, does this sound like the voice of God or is this the voice of something else? Or is it just my own desire? So being in a community of people who are full of the spirit that helps us discern the voice of God in our own life, I think is another important piece. Brandon, you said something really helpful um, just as we were chatting about this, um, just ourselves, about even a step further of what happens when it doesn't come true. Yeah. I, could you kind of expound on that? Because I think that was really helpful in my mind too. You were like, what then happens? Yeah. Uh, okay, so I'm trying to remember what it, exactly you're, I said. You were basically so, saying like, okay, so what then happens if the thing that God told you doesn't happen? Yeah. What happens so, to your faith then? So the premise of what we were talking about was this. When I think about this um, idea of, hey, God told me this. God promised me this. This is something that I've heard from the Lord is going to happen. Um, what do we know about the character of God? God keeps his promises. That's this whole thing, right? The whole story of it, God keeps his promises. Even if we doubt his promises, they will be fulfilled. They may not be fulfilled tomorrow. <laughs> they may not be fulfilled within our earthly lifetime, right? I, and we had a conversation about this recently too. Like this may be a promise that's fulfilled in heaven in eternity, right? Our wholeness, the wholeness of our bodies, the, the perfection of them. Like that's a, a promise that likely for many of us will be fulfilled post our time on earth, Right. But what we know about God is that he will keep his promises. So if something is promised to you and it, and you think it's a promise from God, but it actually is never fulfilled, then was it a promise of God or was it something that we had willed into our own lives, right? Um, that was the premise of what I was talking about. So then on the back end of that, what we need to make sure we don't do is put our faith in those promises because what, what happens if they're unfulfilled? Well, then we doubt God. We don't think God is fulfilling his promise. And that's not the character of our God. Like the character of our God is a God that keeps his promises. So that was kind of the premise. No, that's really good. No, that's what I wanted is because I think that helps, right? So what in my mind, it's like, I want to tell people like, okay, what, what if it doesn't come true? Are you still locked in and fully believing that God is still good? Because mm-hmm. if not, then we probably need to circle back and go, I think we're desiring the wrong things then because- yeah. That's not healthy because it does then discredit a God who says he can't break those things. Yeah. yeah. And at that point, we've put our faith in those circumstances. Yeah. Which I think ties into your end point, Jason, and which you said, okay, so Abraham believed in the promise. That's what was credited to him. Mm-hmm. We're only called to believe in one thing. And you laid that out. And so maybe because I I know time always is a is a is a driver for us, but because 24 and 25 are such big picture verses in Romans 4. And again, I even when you said that, I was like, that's so true. We aren't called to believe in what Abraham believed in. 
I wasn't called to believe that I was going to have a kid. That's not the call. That's not the promise that I'm banking on. Mm-hmm. I was called to believe in one promise. Yeah. That's where my faith lies. So maybe maybe that helps tie and wrap this all up really well. Yeah, go, going back to that text, it's Paul says, look, for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, here's what it is for us. For us who believe in him, raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins, was raised to life for our justification. That is the good news. Like that was where we started back in chapter three, that there is a righteousness from God, not by our works, but by Jesus' death on the cross. And what was uh, accomplished by him gets credited to us. That is the only thing that we are called to believe. And we'll talk about this a little bit more over the next couple of weeks, but this idea that we again, we just put so much stock in our circumstances instead of going back to the one thing that God says we need to focus on. What is the core? What's the platform that we need to put all of our weight in? That Jesus came. He was the son of God and he died for our sins. That's what we've been called to believe. And God raised him from the dead. Like that's Romans 10, 9, right? This is this is the whole gospel story, right? Romans 10, 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, believe, not believe in Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the thing, that God sent his son to die in our place and for our sin, and he raised him up for our justification to make us right with God. That is the thing. That's the promise that we are staking our whole faith on. All of those other promises are great, but they they only come if this promise is true. That's good. Really good. Yeah. That, that is. Super helpful. Yeah. 100%. So then I guess the the last question I would have is what do we do with this? Like what is our application of this message? If we want to better understand the promise of God, what, what's next? Well, I think you hit it right. I think I love your takeaway, which you just said. Hey, let's go back and remember what did God actually promise? And you can Google it. Like, there are people who've created lists for you to know what the promises of God. Now, some of them are terrible. Um, some of the lists uh, I looked at were like, oh, no, that actually doesn't apply to you. That that was not meant for you. Um, you got to always look at them in context. You know, the one that always jumps out at me is, you don't have to fight, just be still. And I'm like, no, that's not what Exodus is saying. Actually, he got rebuked for saying that, right? That's <laughs> when they're standing by the Red Sea and Moses turns to the people and says, hey, don't worry about it. God will fight your battle. You just be still. The very next verse, God says, what are you doing? Don't just stand there, move. <laughs> like It was like, Moses, you, you got the wrong message. So uh, you got to make sure that you put the promises in context. So always read a little bit before and a little bit after to make sure that it actually says what they are claiming it says. But going back and knowing what the promises of God are, that's where we stake our faith. What did God actually say? Uh, I think that's a great application, Brendan, is just to spend an hour sometime mm-hmm. this week and say, what are the promises? What did God promise? And again, some of them aren't things that we want to happen. And that's the other side of it. In this world, you will have trouble. That is a promise. Jesus told his disciples, if you follow me, they hated me and they're going to hate you. Like that's a promise. Like we, <laughs> nobody's putting that on cross stitch on a pillow, but that's a promise. Like if they hated me, they'll hate you if you look like me. 
We have to know that that's true. And we can't be surprised or angry with God when what he promises us is going to happen, happens. So uh, I think going back and internalizing those promises is a great application. Yeah, that's good. And I think we could probably compile a quick list, whether we go find something and link it in the show notes just as a place to get started. Um, But ultimately, yeah, dig into that. Um, I think it could be really helpful. You know, I think for me, one of the application points are just the reminders, again, that this message isn't pulled apart like a standalone. And this text isn't it's in a whole letter, right? Romans 4 is preceded by Romans 1, 2, and 3, and will be followed by Romans 5 through 16. Mm -hmm. And why I say that is because that last piece of uh, 24 and 25 is a part of the gospel message that we first laid out in week three. Hey, we said that there was a, a gospel that Paul preached, and we laid out that Jesus came, he died for our sins, he was resurrected, he'll come again, all of these things. And we laid that out in one whole week. And so for me as as you were finishing and landing the plane this week, I I went back to 16 and 17, and those three words came up again. I'm obligated, and I'm Mm. eager, and I'm Not not ashamed. And I went, why would I be those three things? Oh, because now I really understand this gospel so much better. I actually get now, I am so unworthy of this. I need faith to believe in Man, not my worth, but in what God has done for me. And God has brought a dead thing back to life and has called me to believe in that. And so now, Josh, my thing for you is to be eager to share that message because, as Paul knows, it will change people's lives. So it it was like, I know we talked about it long ago, right, three months ago, but it bookend for me this beautiful picture of, Oh, yeah, those three words, Josh. Is that still true of you? You're obligated, you're eager, and you're unashamed of this gospel message. And now we see this totality of a beautiful picture of what it is. So for me, it was like, a, oh, man, I need to put all this back together. Don't well, just stay here. Yeah, and let me add to that, because I did have somebody come up and say, look, I've been reading James, and you're you're saying that it's all by faith. By faith, Abraham believed God, believed God, believed God. What, what about this works part? James says, faith without works is dead. And I said, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I said, you, they had just come yesterday and I'm like, okay, you need to go back. Cause we spent a lot of time talking about this. Like faith is the root. Our obedience or, or works is the fruit. It, the fruit reveals the root. We can't, we can't neglect this. It's not one or the other. Again, we go back to the bookends of the book of Romans, right? The first paragraph of Romans and the last paragraph both say the same thing that Paul's goal is to is to help. Here's how he, how he says it. He says that my job is to call all Gentiles to an obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. Like there's an obedience that comes from our faith. We can't have obedience without faith. Like that, an obedience without faith is trying to earn our way to God, but there is no faith without obedience. Like that that's what it produces. So when we're walking by faith, it does produce obedience in us. So we, again, make sure that we're keeping all of these chapters together. Mm-hmm. That's the one thing about dissecting this thing. I talked about that at the very beginning, right? We, it's like the frog in science class. You slice it open and you pull out all of its pieces and parts and it's all amazing. But you forget the whole thing goes together and works together to make the frog. Mm-hmm. You can't just pull the pieces apart and get a frog. You have to put them all together to get the beauty of the frog. So 
There is an obedience that comes from faith, but it is not that obedience that saves us. It is that obedience that reveals a faith that saves us. And I think we just need to make sure that we're continually reminding ourselves of that. Yeah, that's really good. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll, uh, we'll pick it up next week. Well, that's a wrap on episode 14 of the Gospel for Everyone podcast. We're honored that you would choose to spend this time with us today. As always, if you have any questions about Sunday's message, we hope you submit them at quadcity.church slash Romans. You can also find additional resources right there on that webpage. Thanks again for joining us today. We hope this added value to your walk with Jesus this week, and we can't wait to see you again next time.